Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Before we start today's episode, I have two important announcements. I'm delighted to announce that Newsroom Robots has partnered with Jeremy Kaplan's Wonder Tools to launch the Generative AI for Media Professionals Masterclass. This course is designed to provide journalism and media experts with the tools to utilize generative AI within their news operations effectively. In December, I will host a live cohort-based two-week course alongside Jeremy Kaplan, who's the Director of Teaching and Learning at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York. He's also the voice behind the popular Wonder Tools newsletter. In this upcoming December cohort, I'll be building upon the generative AI workshops that I've previously conducted at esteemed institutions like the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York, the International Center for Journalists, and the University of Toronto. This next level course is designed to take your understanding of AI in journalism even further, offering practical insights and techniques. November marks one year since the launch of ChatGBT and the work landscape has changed. Upskilling has become more crucial than ever and in this course we'll guide you through various ways to leverage the capabilities of generative AI in your profession ethically. So take advantage of this opportunity to elevate your skills and stay ahead of the curve in this rapidly evolving landscape. Sign up in the link in the show notes and be the first to know when course registration goes live. Our second announcement is that Newsroom Robots is expanding with a brand new newsletter. Many of you have expressed interest in having a newsletter to accompany the podcast 
and we've listened. So sign up at newsroomrobots.com to receive alerts when new podcast episode drops, get episode summaries and transcripts, and gain exclusive access to my personal insights and perspectives on AI. And with that, let's get to today's episode. Joining me on the show is Paul Quigley, the CEO of Newswhip. This innovative technology is used by journalists and PR professionals in over 80 countries, including leading newsrooms like the Associated Press, Reuters, and BBC. Today, we'll delve into how Newswhip aids newsrooms in identifying trending stories and predicting viral news through real-time social media monitoring and analytics. We'll also tackle the complex challenges that large language models present, as well as the transformative impact generative AI could have on the news media business model. Welcome to Newsroom Robots. I'm excited to get all into data, AI, and all about the product Newswhip that you've been working on for such a long time. Brilliant. Thanks, Nikita. I can't wait. Great to be here. So, Paul, I have been very interested in the work you do because when you talk about AI in journalism, I've been thinking quite deeply about the role of AI in predictive journalism, you know, where we have a more proactive approach to the news using AI to anticipate and forecast events. We have so much of data around us. We have so much of data on social media where users, our audience are interacting directly with posts. They are posting comments. They are having their insights out there. And how do we harness upon that data, right? Forecasting is, I think, something that's happening in so many other industries. But if you look at the news industry, how can we shift from maybe a more reactive to a proactive approach, which can really be a game changer for reporting? And I feel like that's where Newsweb has also been helping newsrooms across the industry so far, which can really help journalists prepare for covering events in advance and providing a more better, comprehensive coverage So I really want to explore this idea of what like AI-powered predictive journalism looks like with Newswhip kind of being at the forefront of this area, being one of the premier media intelligence platforms, powering some of the biggest newsrooms, over 100 newsrooms in the industry from organizations like AP, Reuters, the BBC. But before we get started into all of that, I think what I'd really like to set the context for listeners who maybe are not as familiar as Newswhip, how does Newswhip help journalists and help the news industry right now? So thanks, Akita. That's great. Let's get started right into how Newswhip came to be and where we're bringing prediction into the into the newsroom today. So I started Newswhip about a decade ago because I was briefly overseeing a newsroom and I saw that Neither me nor the journalists who I was working with had any idea which stories were going to land and which ones are going to pick up audience interest that day. Uh, It was a lot of guessing. We're literally buying physical newspapers to see what stories were in them and trying to guess what looks interesting. And some people had a better nose, some people a less good nose for that. And it seemed really suboptimal to me that there wasn't data or some way that we could make those decisions in a more data-informed way. Now, at that time, people were starting to share news on on Facebook and on Twitter and other social networks. And you had those little share buttons appearing next to news articles. And I thought, what if you got a little share button for all the articles on the internet in real time, and you could see exactly what was popping up and getting attention. 
And if you could index that and search it, then you could see what's picking up steam today in AI or in political news in India or any other topic or place of interest. So that's what really got us started. We started ingesting content and using social network APIs and other data sources to see which content was picking up steam and quickly branched out into social networks and other sources of data as well from that starting point. And today we're used, as you said, in a great many newsrooms to give that picture of what our audience is interested in for news gathering, um, for finding native social media posts that are popping up that could be of interest and giving that kind of comprehensive social media sonar of, of what's going on out there. So you saw the problem of not having the data basically, to make the decisions of what stories are trending, what should be covered, and just using guesswork in the beginning. And that's where you kind of got the idea of like doing this real-time monitoring across the platforms that we have, where people are literally giving so much of data, and we have so much of data out there in terms of like how they're interacting with stories, but putting it all together in like one platform for newsrooms to understand it. I'm really interested in understanding how you are helping then kind of predict what is newsworthy, what events could lead to uh, news, this idea of predictive journalism um, that's happening. How does Newsweb support that? So I think what's, what's interesting is what's newsworthy is a really subjective question, right? And one of the things being an analytics provider is you can't tell a newsroom what's newsworthy. Everyone's got their editorial positions, the team has got their integrity about what they're going to choose to report on and not report on. So we're coming in with data as to what's going on out there. So decisions can be can be more informed and news gathering can be smarter. But ultimately, what's newsworthy is very interesting. And that gets into the situation of the core identity of any given publisher. What do we think is newsworthy that we think we should cover? But when where we're getting into, where we first get into the prediction space, is we saw that the spread of virality of a story could become quite predictable as it started to move and get shares. Like if something starts getting shares, it tends to continue getting shares. And certain patterns of early engagement can be indicative of later engagement. So we started using machine learning to test different algorithms to see how good we could get at predicting how big a story would be in 24 hours based on the initial engagement on the story. So we brought in different factors and characteristics and, and attributes of stories and gave them different weightings and suppose use machine learning to rapidly iterate on that. But fundamentally, what we're doing is algorithm development and tweaking using machine learning, as opposed to the kind of generative AI work that's, that's very top of mind today. And the best analogy really is any good engineer, if you have a projectile flying through the air and they can see the velocity and they know the where it was shot from and the angle it was shot from, we'll be able to tell you where it's going to land. And as long as you've got really up-to-date data and you have good unbiased algorithms, you can get quite predictive about how big a story is going to be on social pretty soon after it's published. I love Philip Tedlock's book on super predictors, and I've read a lot about prediction after we got into the world of prediction. And his two of the real horror heuristics for being a good predictor is having up-to-date data and being unbiased, being able to update your assumptions. And algorithms are very good at being unbiased, especially if they keep getting improved and trained. So we obsess about feeding them very up-to-date data about what's getting engagement. And with that, we can project how big a story is going to become. 
this is also just an example of how AI has been used in the industry for such a long time, like for over a decade that you've been around as a company, helping newsrooms understand their data using AI to create all of these trends and predictions. And what I really like is about how you're talking about using data to drive decisions then, which probably was lacking, might be lacking if you're not having those like data pipelines within your newsrooms. How crucial are you seeing this kind of like real-time data analysis for publishers to be able to keep in touch with what their audience wants? I think it's become just standard to have that real-time pulse on what your audience is interested in, unless you're in a very long-form very different kind of an analysis after the fact journalism. Um, you both want to know what your audience is interested in, but also what native social media content is popping. Like what is the discussion about this topic that I'm researching and about to publish about on Reddit? Like Reddit's got 123,000 sub communities, which are often anonymized, very frank and often highly knowledgeable. If you're researching a topic on say, uh, a drug that's used for treating a rare disease or something like that, I guarantee you there's a community talking about it. And you can very quickly then zoom in and see what comments and what within that community is getting engagement around this topic that you're researching your story on. So you're getting both which news articles are popular right now, but you're also able to research what social media about a given article is is popular now or today, depending on the cadence of the of the news report. So I think it's just become, it's become standard part of news gathering. There's part where a journalist is outside in the world and walking down the street or is picking up the phone, but there's a part where you're looking at the vast array of social media and the posts and content being created about a topic as you're writing about it. And you, you mentioned the AP, the AP uses us as well to track the use of their own stories. AP members don't always need to watermark AP stories or can rewrite headlines, so they use us to kind of track how the AP wire is, is water falling out into the news ecosystem each day and being used and how much engagement there is, in fact, on AP stories after those are republished onto the websites of all of their members and customers. So they get real-time analytics as well into the AP's newsroom about how their content is being syndicated and used. And how the basically helping them understand how across newsrooms that use AP's content, how does engagement for their particular stories that have been produced by their wire are able to be basically spread across through the entire ecosystem over there in real time as well at the same time. Exactly. And that actually bringing, going back to that example that you're talking about using Reddit, where people are putting out information, they're putting their knowledge over there. That's really bringing me to that predictive nature that you're talking about of media monitoring. Is there a scientific approach to news that you're seeing then? Like, have you decoded with your algorithms what the science of news looks like with these predictive insights that you're able to generate then that this is probably what's going to be where the trend is heading, where an event might occur to help people with that predictive nature of news? Yeah, I think this is where things get complicated, right? Because events that haven't happened yet, haven't happened yet. And there's no digital signature to feed into an algorithm to provide an answer as to whether something might be significant. What we can do, you know, we can is once something is on social media and has some kind of engagement or popularity metrics, almost anything that's taking off is probably going to get aggregated or turn into a news story at some point. You know, it could be possible perhaps for journalists work alongside AIs and 
train them in particularly potentially like narrower fields or areas of inquiry as to whether something is a news event or isn't a news event. So if something's going viral and has particular attributes or characteristics or is getting some engagement or even just appears in the social media ecosystem somewhere, then the AI will be able to say, hey, this is potentially a news event. But right now we're aggregating data, we're predicting how big things will become. And we're relying on our users still to filter what they think is, is going to be important based on their areas of interest. There's a few steps there to getting to the more automated process, but I'm, I'm a little afraid of what's on the other side of that as well, because virality doesn't necessarily mean newsworthiness. It's, it's important, but it's not everything. But you're able to just identify what the particular characteristics might be that could make something into an event before it really might happen. Yeah. But I mean, we have data on billions of, we call them objects. So that could be a social media post or a news article. We have their kind of the flight path of every one of them since when I mean, our data goes back to 2014. So there's a lot more potentially we could do in terms of trying to identify early patterns of virality. But the world is, is complex and, and it evolves. And We've found simpler algorithms work better. We don't have the compute power of open AI or, or that expertise. So we've found when we've made more complex our predictive models, they don't perform as well as simpler predictive models when it comes to predicting engagement with, with stories. Interesting. That's the more complex things get. Sometimes it's not always better <laughs> for modeling. Sometimes a projectile flying through the air is just a projectile flying through the air. And if you overdo it in terms of looking at all its attributes, you you start introducing other errors and things that can get amplified as well and, and make your prediction less accurate. Yeah. And I also want to get into your very recent announcement that you have now also having LinkedIn Insights partnering with LinkedIn to get real-time data over there. A lot of companies have an active voice on LinkedIn talking about their particular announcements and engaging with a very business-focused audience. Talk to me more about that partnership that you're looking at with LinkedIn. How do you see that kind of helping with the media monitoring stage of Newswith? LinkedIn is playing a bigger and bigger role in the media diets of people, engagement with LinkedIn by its users is going up, meaning they're spending more time there. They're discovering more content and consuming more content there. And user numbers are going up as well. So it's now at just shy of a billion users. And it's a place where more and more publishers are, are posting video. It's a place where business journalists can look for quotes and insights about a story. But the problem with LinkedIn until this week was there was no way of seeing what was popular across the whole platform. You could see everyone has their own little view from where they're sitting of what's going on on LinkedIn, but it was impossible to see across the millions of pages what's getting engagement and what's interesting there today. So that limits news gathering, and it also limits what publishers can know about best practices. Like if I want to start getting more active in publishing to LinkedIn and build an active community, what insights can I get about who's doing that well and what the content that they're posting looks like? So... With our partnership with LinkedIn, and for your listeners, we've just announced that, and it's a um, partnership giving us full real-time access to the content and engagement on content from the 67 million LinkedIn company pages. 
we can provide that in real time. And that gives our users a picture of what's happening on LinkedIn in any topic area. You can put in a search term for a topic like AI, and you can see what are the stories and content from McKinsey, from the Harvard Business Review, from the Wall Street Journal, and maybe from some other unexpected places that are going viral and getting getting engagement. And the intention here is that uh, newsrooms can do news gathering, audience development teams can can focus a bit more on LinkedIn and get more insight on what's happening there. And also people in communications can see what works on LinkedIn. And I think over the next couple of years, we'll see LinkedIn playing a bigger role in the kind of news platform ecosystem. And what do you see is the biggest impact that this would be having, having LinkedIn also one of the places where you're able to get this real-time data insights for people? I think the first impact is if journalists are discovering what's being posted on LinkedIn is interesting and starting to link to that or pull, say, a company statement about an issue or about a topic from LinkedIn, it's going to be the place where companies will post more of those statements. If you expect that something you post to LinkedIn is effectively like posting it to a newswire where it can get picked up and spotted, it becomes a much more important place for, for those announcements happening. So it creates a kind of virtuous cycle, I suppose, of a place where news happens and a place where news gatherers can spot it happening and gather uh, quotes or gather insights or just spot breaking stories. And then there's the audience development side as well, which is do we want to publish natively to LinkedIn, videos on LinkedIn, or upload images or text or create a newsletter on LinkedIn, as some publishers have, which would be consumed natively there or share links to our own content on LinkedIn and aim to get that distributed on the platform to bring back traffic. And you've also been doing quite a few interesting experiments with like large language models. How do you see combining generative AI with data, this real-time data and analytics that you're doing? What's the power that you think that this could produce? It's really fun. There's a lot of potential here. And we're probably a good case study of a company that doesn't have the infinite resources of some of the the big AI companies. So we're spotting where is the intersection of the unique data that we have and the possibilities of large language models and, and natural language processing. The first thing we were doing was to just do basic good entity extraction on news articles. We also know how viral every news article is. So we can overlay all of the articles on a topic, like a search term again, like AI, And we can map how many articles have been published mentioning all of the entities and how much public interest is there in those articles and put that into a grid. So that's what you can do now in NewsWhip is when you log in, you can put in a search term and you can see all of the entities that are being mentioned in articles about this search term. And you can see what are the media writing about? What are they interested in? What are the public interested in? Which stories are they sharing and commenting on and engaging with? And you get this kind of interest, we call it the interest quadrant. And it's uh, it's got a kind of grid, so you can see a kind of zone of where there's low media interest, low public interest, and that's a kind of dead zone. There's high media interest, but low public interest. That might be a regulatory thing like privacy, where journalists write about it, but no one's really sharing or talking about it. Then you've got the where public are interested, but there's not many media articles written yet. And this is this emerging quadrant where probably the media is going to write more about that soon because we can see those entities are the ones that are under-indexed in terms of media coverage versus the public interest. 
And then we've got this upper right quadrant where there's a lot of stories being written and there's a lot of engagement on those stories. So that gives a really interesting map of any issue right now. And you can say, I want this for the last hour, or I want this for the last 24 hours, or I want this for the last week on whatever the topic is. So our, our users are using that to find what they call white space and opportunities and a kind of an arbitrage of within this news event, there's some entities that the public is interested in. They're sharing the stories about this particular entity and this particular, uh, when I say entity, I mean a person, place or a company or an organization or something else we pulled out. And we see the potential to cover this because this is just not getting enough coverage relative to the, to the public's interest in it. And you double click on that and you find out why. Like, and what's important about a lot of what we're doing is we link through to everything. So because journalists are curious, they want to understand what's driving a trend. We don't wrap it up into a unclickable, just trust me, LLM output. You can double click on everything. You can see what's driving it. You can see the news stories driving it, the social media engagement driving it. Click right down to a specific news article, see who's been tweeting this news article and kind of research, get a real 360 degree view of, of all of the digital signatures of the news event. And that's an exciting place there. And that's not without any great large language expertise on our part. It's just looking at what's the unique data that we have. And if you've got good identity extraction, combine that with our data, what visualizations and new information could we provide our, our users? So that's currently something that's in our product. I'll pause there in case you have any questions about that, and then we can talk about what's coming next. So it's very interesting using large language models for like entity instruction. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Which is another great use case of not just using it for like generating text, but it has a really great capabilities with entity instructions. And I like the, how it's helping with identifying white space in news that's right now there. And so are you testing out, experimenting anymore with like the text generation capabilities of it? We're doing more of that. We send out to every day tens of thousands of emails and MS Teams alerts and Slack alerts to our users. So we've got a Bloomberg terminal-like dashboard of what's happening. But people don't want to spend all day in a dashboard. So maybe they want an alert triggered if a story that's mentioning a topic that's important to them is getting a certain level of engagement or is predicted to reach a certain level of engagement soon. Like alert me if any story about AI is predicted to reach a thousand engagements on Facebook and Twitter. It doesn't matter when that happens. Just as soon as you've got a good prediction, alert me about that. So our system automatically does that. 
And it also sends out digests, like what are the biggest stories about AI in the last 24 hours? Or if you're working at a big energy company, a specific division like carbon capture, they might want what is a big digest of what's happening. Or if you're in an auto company, you want a digest of what's happened in the last 24 hours in often quite specific things like EV charging port standardization or something. And we automate all of those digests and show you and send through what are the most viral stories about each of those things as a good filter for what audiences are interested in about them. And that's useful for both newsrooms and comms people and business people generally. And of course, these are links in an email with data now. And the opportunity here is to summarize what's happening and automate the media analyst part of providing a really good digest. And that's what we've been doing. Because economically, sending in lots and lots of stuff to LLMs is expensive, but digests themselves have a certain number of articles in them, and it's manageable to send those in and get those summarized. And the outputs can include themes, they can include a fair number of different media analysis dimensions of the news stories that, that appear there. You can cluster them together if, there, if there's a few about the same topic, say what the theme is, and provide both data and a little bit of analysis as to what's going on in this topic today. And this technology is still like emerging tech and still in its nascent with still flaws that are in it, especially like hallucinations and stuff. So what have been some of the biggest challenges or limitations you've been finding of large language models as you've been building them out in your product? So this is the, this is the hard bit. So we're going to be putting a big asterisk and warning label on these AI digests because the AI can't tell satire. It can sometimes, <laughs> that, that can lead to really strange very serious sounding media analysis, but it's based on satire and it's just wrong. They can't, they really don't seem to be able to, to detect satire. They have weaknesses as well around sometimes reversing the actors in a story and how they summarize it. If X did something to Y, it'll sometimes say Y did something to X, which imagine certainly could raise some eyebrows when some people get a news alert and they're like, what? And then they read the headline and it says the inverse of what the summarization said. So we've done a lot of prompt engineering and a lot of work on improvements, but we've had to accept that there, the quality can only get so good here. So, and because we don't have a human in the loop in the system, we're going to be automatically sending out these digests without that human in the loop. We'll need to put an asterisk on them and say, this digest has been provided by a AI summarization technology and please double click before you make any critical business decisions based on this summary. Yeah, I actually want to get into that decision that you've taken then as a company, because not having any human in the loop and the possibility of it making a wrong decision, do you think just having that asterisk and putting the onus on the person who is looking at the information and wondering who gets the information, gets the AI-generated summary, and then having them double-check the information, was that what you were comfortable with? Do you think that was not a major risk in a way to the company or the brand if the AI generator was making mistakes such as these? How did you kind of like decipher between the the risks of having it hallucinated versus actually the big reward of like having these AI generated summaries most of the time accurate and being able to help people and help your customers? We've always been operating at a pretty, I suppose, significant scale in terms of what we're pushing through. And we're pushing it through to professionals as opposed to, say, the general public. We're not 
automatically publishing anything to websites. Our users are quite sophisticated. It's journalists, it's people in insights teams, comms teams, audience development. And we believe we can save them a lot of time with a degree of summarization and that they're sophisticated to understand that there is a risk of a hallucination or an error in the summarization. We don't expect the AI Digest to go straight to the CEO of Ford, but they're going to be very useful for a lot of other teams in Ford. And they'll, it'll just be with the asterisks that they shouldn't expect that everything in it will be, all the elements of the summarization will be right. And when you're serving professionals and they're good at parsing the information that they're getting, then we think the trade-off is worth it of helping them get to the SOBOT more quickly. Interesting. So because of who your customers are, which is mainly professionals who are then going to eventually act upon that information by double checking their sources, usually like journalists would do that. It's okay that you decided in that trade-off to have kind of like AI generated text summary using large language models, because that would just help them save them time in getting those reports quickly. And they would eventually be checking the information as well. So that that's kind of how you decided the trade-off. You made the trade-off there. Precisely, because they are the human in the loop themselves. And they're deciding the accuracy of the information and the summary themselves and not just auto-republishing or passing things through without, without some decision-making and thinking on their part. And where are you most excited about generative AI in the realm of your company from there? What do you think is kind of like the future looking like for you there? I think as an analytics and insights company about what's going on across a lot of different social platforms, the summarization capability is really significant. It's very hard to keep track of what's going on in the human ecosystem widely right now. You've got news being published, news being shared on Facebook or on X, on Reddit. You've got a big world of what's happening on TikTok and on Instagram and YouTube, all of these big platforms where things are happening. And two, our platform is a bit like TweetDeck. You can jump in and you can put in a search term and see how it plays out across all of these platforms, but it's a lot to take in. And to quickly understand an issue or to understand what's happening in the world can take a degree of double clicking and exploring, and it probably always will. But large language models offer this great opportunity to start summarizing what's happening across the board there and to give quick so what's about I say, so what, as in get me to the so what, which is always important when you're an analytics company to think about how you get people to the so what. And I think the possibilities of summarization and pulling the insights out across all those tables and getting to the people who need them are very interesting. We started with the digests and we started with news media because that stuff is a little bit more standardized in terms of the content formats. And we've found good results there. I think it could get a lot harder to summarize what's going on across a very hashtag heavy or in-joke heavy social media platform like TikTok or or like Instagram. But the um, possibility is there. And also I had come across a recent LinkedIn post of yours where you were talking about generative AI is an existential threat to the current business models of the news media industry. I want to expand a bit more and get your insights on that view. How are you seeing generative AI possibly disrupting the traditional business model that's there in news media? Generative AIs can quickly provide summarizations. And if there is no possibility of double clicking and going back to the original source, it can really reduce, I suppose, the need to 
read original news reporting. So if you're a journalist at the AP or the New York Times and, and there's some significant investment required for some original news reporting, you're currently relying on subscribers who will read the news report. And there is a risk to news reporting today that generative AIs will just summarize the news report. It'll get broken onto a lot of different websites quickly. Summaries will get written of summaries. We'll all have personalized generative AI in our phone that will summarize today's news events for us. No need to double click or actually read any original reporting. I got my little summary there. Thank you very much. And on you go. And one of the things I don't like about large language model outputs and the kind of black box that they that they represent is not being able to, as I say, double click. I'm a bit of a web 2.0 person. I like being able to click through and see all of the dimensions of something. And I suppose that's a personal preference, but certainly economically, you can see the risk to news. And you can also see a kind of a loss of the social credit and kudos that comes with breaking a news story if it's quickly just aggregated away into a meme by large language models. So where do you see like, well, the news and media industry is crucial for this, the survival of democracy as well. And you're talking about not being able to click through links and just AI generating information the possibilities of misinformation also then becomes really high and not giving people to click through links. And with this big election year of 2024 coming around, how crucial do you think solutions like yours of like real-time social monitoring would play towards the solution of combating misinformation? We do a lot of work on in the misinformation world and we provide our platform to a lot of fact checkers so they can see what stories are going viral and what is actually worth fact checking. Because there's a lot of people wrong on the internet every day. And generative AI is going to result in a lot of stuff being generated. And a lot of that stuff won't even get clicked on by people at all. It'll get zero clicks. And there's not much point for fact checkers in debunking that stuff. They need to know what is generating controversy and what's picking up steam in the human world today. So that's where I think a platform like ours only becomes more important with, with generative AI coming on stream. Like an example, uh, if you pay to have a press release distributed, it'll get about 60 pickups, all by bots. And I expect the number of those will, that number will only go up with generative AI. It's easy to just re-summarize the press release, put it on a website, hope a couple of people click on it and sell ads against those clicks. And that's a pretty common online business model. But there's no point in paying attention to those links. And if you're a savvy person in PR and communications, you don't care about them either. They're just stuff that appeared on the internet. And no one's going to read them. And in the world of generative AI, I can just imagine a lot more stuff's going to get created. And the signal of what stuff is actually getting human interest and human attention is going to become more important. And especially in the world of misinformation and, and disinformation. Yeah. And so like this online business model that you're talking about of just having content and ads right next to it, that's a model that might kind of disappear in a way if large language models can just generate content for you on any topic, any particular insight that you want, right? And so then where does that leave the news industry, which has been having content and ads being the main revenue again? Do we rethink in terms of our business models? What are your thoughts in terms of how the news industry should be approaching this era that we're in? People still want to know what's happening out there. One thing that's been heartening for us is to see during real big crisis and major news events, people tend to flock towards high quality news. And when we looked at the, we call it with the University of Michigan, we do a um, 
kind of an index of how much content engagement every day is on iffy websites, which are websites that are more prone to being very partisan or publishing misinformation versus high quality news websites. And that's every, you know, we can use our data to see how much engagement is there on the the bad guys versus the good guys and some guys in the middle. And you see the iffy quotient drops, meaning more people start sharing content from good websites and good news content when there's significant news events. For example, during COVID, people weren't sharing crazy conspiracy stuff, at least at the start, at least for a few weeks, it was all quite factual content about the seriousness of the disease, statements from public health and politicians, how to wash your hands properly, and things like that from websites like New York Times or CNN. And you saw similar after George Floyd's murder was a, a flight to quality. People wanted to understand what had happened, what was the news that was happening, and they were sharing and talking about that. It's often afterwards that things start getting more partisan and people start sharing stuff that confirms their priors. But that suggests to me there's a future in, we need to know what's going on. People are interested in knowing what's going on. And the question is how to get them to pay for validated journalist vetted, newsroom vetted information. Because platforms like us will be able to detect what's going viral, but we're not the fact checkers. It might be fake. We need people to validate what's actually happening in the world. And even a company like Meta, which has a big emphasis on fighting misinformation, has 90 fact-checking organizations globally that they're engaging with and they're paying to fact-check things because there's no AI for fact-checking. If it goes up on a website that a politician said something or that something happened in a village in Bangladesh, there's going to be some hard work involved by a journalist to figure out if that's true and if it happened or not. So I think as long as we're valuing facts, there's a future for news and people do value facts, especially when things get crisis-like or when the chips are down. So there's a good future there, but I'm not sure about the economics if LLMs start getting between news reporters and news stories and subscribers, and if the current format of the news story is the way things continue into the future that I don't know about. Yeah, it's reassuring to hear, though, about your perspective of how people flock towards verified content and trustworthy content, quality content. And I think that's where journalism and the news industry might be able to stand out in among the rest of them, because I think we'd always have that quality journalism and be able to have that human voice. I don't see a future where we'd have everything AI generated in the news industry, which would be too hard to imagine. (laughs) And so I think maybe in the age of a lot of AI generated content out there, the value of human voice will become more essential. That's what we'd be (laughs) as the news industry. So that's really hopeful. I also, before in the last few minutes that I've got with you, I really want to hear about your personal journey in this media tech space because you've bounced around quite a bit. And I always love hearing from other entrepreneurs in terms of their journey, building products, testing this out, because you figured out a problem in the industry and built a solution that's now been widely adopted across. How did you kind of get started in this space at the nexus of media and technology? I I was just following my interest, which is probably true of everyone who ends up at this nexus because it's a very difficult nexus. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, can relate. (laughs) There's a a lot of people out there building technology tools for newsrooms and newsrooms 
don't have a whole lot of budget for new solutions. It's coming from the right place. People really do want to. And I wanted to bring data into newsrooms and we succeeded at doing that. But even for us, we then expanded out into other markets and other people using us in order to build up a bigger picture future for Newswhip. And in terms of bouncing around, I was a, a lawyer before I, I started this company and I found myself when I was sitting in, in Lexington Avenue on my desk late at night, supervising discovery and litigations. I just got very interested in the emergence of the Huffington Post and BuzzFeed and Gawker and these online news sites that has skipped the whole print thing, skipped the whole broadcast thing. And I was fascinated. And I was fascinated at the new voice that was emerging online as well. And maybe a less pompous way of doing news, like even maybe not remember Gawker, but it certainly was kind of, it was breaking some of the formats of what news was and how it was reported and rewriting some of those rules. So I got really drawn to that and then ended up much more interested in the analytics and data and who's engaging with what and why side of things. And what's interesting was I would not have predicted and what I thought would happen by now is we'd have a better taxonomy and understanding of why and how we're choosing to engage with the kind of news stories and content that we are. Uh, we've provided a lot of data uh, cheaply or for free to different universities. And I've always been very interested in, if we're going to get some taxonomy or framework to understand why are we engaging with this content? I notice I am sharing this story. I notice this is going viral or this is getting a lot of comments or this seems to be real red meat to a certain group of people. And there's a fair degree of people in psychology and sociology studying this, but there's no grand unified theory of it at all. It's just, we're all getting programmed by social media and by our news cycle and by our filter bubbles every day. And I'm a little disappointed that we haven't got a better language for talking about it because we're quite a few years into this now. And also when you were talking about the space of newsroom tech being a very, I'd say, small space, really, it's been growing quite a bit with this interest in generative AI. Every conference I've been to this year, I've been meeting new startups who are coming into this intersection and trying to figure out new solutions for newsroom tech. What advice would you have to people who are kind of looking to build tech products for the media industry? And also on the flip side of that, for media folks who are looking at all of these startups, how should they be like looking to maybe adopt new and emerging media tech startups? I think the, the key advice for startups generally is solve a real problem. It's easy to imagine a problem might be there in newsrooms, but maybe it's not really there or it's not a place where there's going to be budget to solve a real problem. And if you're solving a problem for newsrooms, don't expect to get a whole lot of venture funding. Uh, the market size isn't there. So it's going to be helpful if you do want the funding that enables you to hire up engineers and get places, I suppose there's foundations and other sources, or there's a bigger story beyond media and figuring out what are the other applications of your technology, where can it be used beyond the newsroom? For us, that's been in communications, insights, and all these other spaces where people need to know what's going on in the world right now. And having engineered a system for newsrooms, which is Got to keep journalists ahead of the news and journalists are very information hungry, very savvy people. So if you're going to keep them, be ahead of them as an analytics platform, you need to be very fast. And then who else is going to care about that? Who else is going to use that? So I think that the advice I would say is, yeah, solve a real problem, but be ready to branch out into other markets if you can. And I think for the, uh, I've never been on the buyer side as a newsroom evaluating technologies, but 
it's probably the same thing. You've got to see which technology is scratching a real itch that, that you have right now. And I'd always love to hear how you're using AI in your own personal life. I think wrapping up, this has just been a great conversation, but you've been working with AI for over a decade and built a whole company around it. Any AI tools or chat GPT use cases that have kind of been instrumental in your own personal life? It's almost embarrassing how little I'm using AI. When I look around me, I mean, sure, there's the AI that's behind Google Maps and there's the AI that's behind all of the news feeds in the apps that I look at. But uh, I've, I've only used ChatGPT. I, I enjoy the novelty of it. It's very clever. It can write cheesy poetry. <laughs> I write, that used to be one of my skills was writing cheesy poetry and it's much better at that than me. So I'll hang up my hat now. That's great. <laughs> AIs have overtaken the humans. It's bad poetry. <laughs> I have used it a bit for some business writing to kind of rephrase things, and it's okay at that. But because LLMs are trained on what's already out there, things tend to read a little generically to me that, that come back out from LLMs. And it might be because I'm not prompting well, and I haven't got into the habit of using them a lot. I know people who are, say, academics who need to write grant applications and there's some parts of the grant application that are just pretty turgid and pretty boring, and they'll go and use an LLM to quickly get them there. But fundamentally, that's a kind of, it's a checkbox bit of bit of writing. It doesn't require, it's, here's the inputs to my study. Can you give me the kind of a summary of something for a particular subsection of the form? And I don't have a lot of that in my life, so I haven't been using the AIs to help me with those. But all of this might change in a few months if I suddenly discover something beyond bad poetry with with OBT. It's actually funny. I talk to a lot of technologists and I often hear people who are in the tech industry are not as often using ChatGPT or AI as much. I think because you're completely immersed in it <laughs> as well. But Thank you so much, Paul. This has been a lot of fun to really dive into a very futuristic topic, I'd say, of like predictive journalism, what that could look like, how your real-time media monitoring platform of NewsWeb has been having an impact on newsrooms for over a decade and how you've been exploring generative AI for a data analytics product. And this has been quite insightful. And thank you so much for joining me on Newsroom Robots. Absolute pleasure, Nikita. Thank you for having me. That was Paul Quigley, the CEO of NewsWhip. Stay updated with the Newsroom Robots podcast and sign up for our newsletter at newsroomrobots.com. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.